Lots of you have uh, New Year's plans uh, for tonight. I had thought about um, going to New York City for the big uh, celebration. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah? Um, <clears throat> Laura was like, Matt, that's like a forever drive. And I said, Laura, if I could make it to New York City in our church bus, those of you who were with me on that trip, I could make it in our church van. In case y'all don't know, the church bus, um, I'm not so sure it has shocks. Uh, and it's got a lot of play in the wheel. And uh, when we got out of that bus, Julie, you were there, right? Um, we had to go get checked to see if any of us had a concussion um, from riding there. Uh, but, you know, Laura still didn't convince me until she said, Matt, do you realize that there's no bathrooms in the area and that people have to wear diapers? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, none of y'all have thought about that? Yeah, y'all are looking at me like I'm strange right now. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. So um, with that in mind, I thought to myself, you know, uh, I'll stay here this year and, uh, and help take down decorations at the church and, and eat barbecue. I want to encourage you all to be here for this. Um, if you're here, please come to the barbecue. How, many, how, many, um, how much barbecue did Glenn fix? Do you know? There's a bunch. So we really want to encourage you all to be here. We got a lot of people that's out of town today. So please... If, if, if you're here today, please stay and help us eat that barbecue. All right, so if you got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 61 and, and also chapter 62, okay? If you could think about uh, the ideal church, okay? If, if you had in mind what the ideal church would be like when you walked in through the doors and, and you got to experience the worship service, what would that look like, okay? We've all got these different ideas in our minds of the perfect church, okay? And I've been wrestling with this over these last couple of days because it's New Year's, and anytime we have New Year's, we often come up with these great ideas of what we hope happens over the next uh, year. So in this case, I've been thinking, you know, what do I want to see happening in our church over the next year in 2018? What are my hopes and desires? And I know a lot of you probably have a lot of hopes and desires for our church as well. Um, but I've, got, I've gotten to where I'm wrestling with this because... I've realized that a lot of people do not attend church today because churches are not meeting their hopes and desires. Now, here's what I mean by this. So several of my students um, in when this, past, this past semester was teaching systematic theology, and at the end of the, at the, end of the year, they have to write this 17-page paper that incorporates theology and the church and all that. And in it, they had to wrestle with why did, why or why did they go to church or why did they not go to church? Now, keep in mind, I'm teaching mostly 18 to 20-year-olds, and most of them, even though they're at a Christian college, do not attend church, okay? And most of them said the reason why we do not attend church is because 
The church is often full of hypocrisy, or the church wants people's money, okay? And so, that is a big, big issue for a lot of people. Stretch it out saying they want, the church wants money. Why would I want to go to a church that all they ask for is money, money, money? Or why would I want to go to the church that the church is full of hypocrites? And I know our response to this. Most of us look back and we say, wait a minute, um, the church is supposed to be full of hypocrites, right? Aren't we all sinners and don't we all struggle? And, and we make all of these excuses up. And, but I've been wrestling with this thinking, what if they're right? What if we stop making excuses for ourselves and we say, you know what? The way the world views the church, what if they're right? What if, in fact, we are hypocrites? What if, in fact, we do need transformation? Maybe it's not just the world that needs to be transformed. What if the church itself needs to be transformed? And I've really been wrestling with this because I think what's happening in the American church is we think, hey, we've made it. We're going to go to heaven. That's what we think. And we think, well, the ones who need to be transformed and changed are out there. But what if God is saying not only do they need to be transformed, the ones in here need to be transformed as well? So I began to ask the question, okay, I know what my ideal church would look like, but what does God's ideal church look like? If God could come in to this sanctuary and physically stand before us today, and he would say, this is what I want Greenwood Hills Wesleyan Church to look like, what would he say? And I think we're given a glimpse of that in Isaiah 61, verses 10 and 11, and then going into chapter 62, verses 1 through 3. And so let me read this to you. So this is the prophet Isaiah writing. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word, God, please search our hearts and our minds. Reveal to us, Lord, your will. Help us, Lord, not to make it simply your will for our life, but your will for the church, the global church. Remind us, Lord, that we are here today 
to glorify and to praise you. We are here today also, Lord, to be transformed ourselves. Lord, help us not to come in to this service with arrogant hearts, thanking, Lord, that we have arrived and we are the people that you want us to be. Lord, show us the areas that you want us to draw closer to you in and those areas, Lord, that you want us to die to. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So throughout this passage, it refers to a city called Zion. Okay, Most of you know that Zion refers to Jerusalem. And as Scripture teaches in this passage, um, one of the things that you have to realize is, is that while Zion represents Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in a very generic sense, also represents all of God's people. Okay, And so basically what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is his desire, what God wants, from all of his people. And so throughout this sermon, you're going to hear me refer to the church. I'm not just referring to Greenwood Hills Wesleyan Church. I'm, re I'm referring to all of God's people, okay? The global church. And what we see in this passage of Scripture, especially in Isaiah 62, verse 1, is God's desire what God would want the church, the global church, to be like. And so listen to what it says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Now right there, we're given a beautiful picture that if God was to come stand before us, and, he would, and, and we were to say, God, what do you want your church to look like? His response would be, I want you to be like a blazing torch. Do you get that picture in your mind? What does a blazing torch do? It what? That's right, it illuminates an entire room. It shines. So this morning I sat in on our uh, youth Sunday school or small church group class. Pastor Thomas was giving a lesson, had no idea what I was speaking on, but he was talking to the teens where Jesus says that we are to let our light shine. Okay, And he brought in a candle, Okay, and he also had a sparkler. Do you all know what a sparkler is? You know what a sparkler is? Everybody familiar with that? Um... It's like one of the only fireworks in North Carolina that's legal, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, and it goes like that. Well, he lights them both upstairs. I will talk to him about that privately later, okay? Um, Vicky came upstairs. She said, something's burning. And I said, oh, I know, Vicky. It's the youth pastor. And he is um, threatening to burn down the church. So he has got this fire going, and there's a candle, and it's in the floor, and it's lit, and then he's got this sparkler, and I didn't think he was going to light the sparkler. He lit the sparkler, and the thing's going, 
and he asked the teens, what are we supposed to be like as the church? The sparkler or the candle? And what do you think the teens said? Some said the sparkler, some said the candle. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think is the correct answer? Why? It's consistent, right? But isn't it true that many of us, when, when we start off in our Christian walk, we burn bright, and it's, it's a show, so to speak. It's pop here, pop there. And we're like, everybody look at me, and then you give it a good 15 seconds, and it's out. And we call that burned out, don't we? And so, man, we shine bright, man, we're popping, we're catching everybody's attention. And then all of a sudden, the fire's gone. I said, Thomas, can you relight the sparkler just to see what would happen? And once it had already burned out, you couldn't even catch it on fire again. It just burned out. It was gone. But that little candle was sitting right there, and it was burning brightly. It was burning brightly. That's a great picture of the church. That's another reason why we do the Advent candles. It reminds us of the consistency that we are called to, that the, the church of God, okay, the global church is called to shine brightly and constantly, not just here and there, but on a consistent basis of just shining and letting the light of Christ shine. And what's interesting is, is that it's not that we're just letting our light shine to let it shine it says here that we're to shine like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. What is to shine? Our salvation. It's the salvation, the fact that Christ has saved us, that he has forgiven us. That's what we're to shine out and to let everyone know has taken place in our life. And God says he's not going to give up on that. Now let me give you a little bit of history here. Okay, if you look at this strictly from the perspective of Jerusalem, what was getting ready to take place is the Babylonians were getting ready to come in and conquer Jerusalem, and the city itself was going to become desolate. In other words, there was not going to be a city on a hill that was shining brightly. It was going to be desolate. There was going to be no lights there. And so when Isaiah the prophet, as God is speaking to the people through this prophet, God is saying, hey, there's going to become a time when the city of Jerusalem is going to be desolate. You won't see any light in it, but hold on because God's going to restore that city. And the city will shine brightly once again. And it's going to shine so bright that everybody's going to know it's a blazing torch shining for God's salvation. I got reflecting upon that and just thinking, you know what? There's so many broken people in our world today that if they were to talk about their spirituality, their Christian faith, many would say that it is desolate, that they are in dry lands. Some would even come back and say, you know, Pastor Matt, it almost seems like it's meaningless. I had Pastor Thomas read a book over Christmas break, and it's, it's an it's a existentialist book, which basically is a type of philosophy that's very depressing. And it basically says that everything is meaningless. 
And there's so many people in our world today that live with that mindset. What's the point? Once I get the job that I want, what's next? Once I get the, 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 the income that I want, what's next? And there's so much more that God has to offer us that life is not itself meaningless. But God has so much more, and he has so much more that he wants to share with us to the point that we begin to have purpose in our life and we begin to shine brightly for him. Perhaps some of you feel like your life is pointless and desolate and you're struggling. Can I share the same hope that Isaiah shared with them? Can I share it to you that, hey, you may feel like you're in a moment where the light has gone out in your faith, but God's word promises, okay, hear me, God's word promises that he will not give up and he will not quit until that light shines bright. Do you hear that? Do you hear the fact that you have a God who loves you? And he's basically saying, for the people of God, look at verse 1 in chapter 62 again. It says, for Zion's sake, for the people of God's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. You have a God that in the midst of when you're struggling, you're like, life is meaningless. My light is not shining. I don't know where God's at at this point in my life. You have a God that's saying, you may not know where I'm at, but I know where you are, and I am coming after you. I will not remain quiet. I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to take hold of you to the point that you will shine brightly like a blazing torch. Isn't that good news, church? That God loves you that much? That that is his desire. And I truly believe that that is his desires for so many local churches. So many local churches nowadays say, well, um, we're not growing. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. But I think that God's saying, I will not remain quiet in that place. I will chase after those people, and I'm going to come after them until they shine bright with the salvation of God. That's good news for Greenwood Hills Wesleyan Church. That's good news for the church down the road that's struggling to pay their bills and to make sure that they can keep the doors open. That's good news is the fact that God says, I am not going to remain quiet. I am going to continue until they blaze like a blazing torch so here's the point in order for that to occur a major transformation has to take place in us it has to folks okay you can't go from having no fire no light to being a blazing torch unless something in between happens something has to occur and there's got to be some type of a transformation. And so we see this happen throughout Old Testament history and New Testament history where Jerusalem itself was a desolate city, but then God sends in the people of, of Jerusalem. They go in, they rebuild the temple. They make it a, a, a vibrant city once again. But they had to go through suffering before that transformation occurred. 
And so we see the same thing happening with local churches, that if we want to let our light shine, there has to be some sort of transformation that's going to occur in us. And that's what I want to share with you just for a moment. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah about this transformation in verse 2 of chapter 62. He says, you will be called by a new name. In other words, keep that in mind there. If you're going to be called by a new name, there's going to be a transformation that's occurred, right? You're no longer who you once were. You have a new name. You have a new identity. By the way, that theme is all throughout Scripture, especially in Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, okay, known only to the one who receives it. There's that new name. In Revelation, it's talking about a transformation occurring in the life of believers. You see the same thing happening in chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 12, where it says, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And then he says this, And I will also write on them my new name. You see, God is a God of transformation. He doesn't want you to remain as you are. He wants to take, take you from where you are and make you a blazing torch. Something that is shining brightly. And so I believe that God's wanting to do that with all of the church, the people of God, every single one of us. That transformation is not just for the people out there, but it's for the people that are here as well. That God's wanting to transform us. My, the question I wrestle with, and I've wrestled with this question for years. In fact, it's part of my dissertation. How does transformation even occur? Well, that's a big, hairy word, transformation. What does that even mean? And so I think I've given a glimpse of what it means in chapter 61, verses 10 and 11. Let me just read this to you. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for the, so for the soil, now catch this part right here, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. How do you go from being something that's not growing to something suddenly sprouting up? And notice what it says is sprouting up, righteousness. And righteousness is what is shining like a blazing torch to all of the world. That's the transformation we're talking about. Righteousness means that you are made right in the eyes of God. So consider this, the place where spiritual growth best occurs is located right behind Jesus. I just want you to think about that. The place where spiritual growth 
most likely occurs is located right behind Jesus. Let me unpack this for you, okay? What I mean by this is when this scripture, it says that it is the soil that causes the seed to grow. Okay? In our spiritual life, we have to find the soil where we are going to plant ourselves so that we can grow. And the most fertile soil is located right behind Jesus. And here's what I mean by this, okay? Whenever Jesus came and walked the earth, he would constantly say, hey, come follow me. And as the disciples walked behind him, they grew. And as they walked behind, them, behind Jesus, they were transformed. And so as they stayed in the shadow of the Savior, they themselves were transformed. And because they were transformed, their lives were like a blazing torch that ended up transforming the entire world, folks. But they learned how to live their life by following Jesus and walking with him and listening to him, listening to his teachings, applying his teachings to their lives. So the same is true for us. We must place ourselves behind our leader. We must place ourselves behind our leader. Who is our leader? It is Christ. And following and trusting Christ, I, I can promise you that when you place yourself in that soil, that soil will cause a transformation to occur and growth to occur in your life. It will produce the fruit of the Spirit from that soil. Many of us are planting ourselves in many different places, but the secret of the gospel is to plant yourself in the soil of Christ. Plant yourself in his shadow. Look at the way he lived his life. Observe the way he lived his life. Listen to his teachings. Meditate on his teachings. And then practice his teachings. And when I say practice, what I'm saying is surrender yourself to God so that God can live through you. So in closing, I'm going to ask Pastor Thomas to come up. We're going to sing a closing song. But in closing, I want to remind you that 2018 is a new year in which you'll be doing a lot of new things. Okay? You'll be doing a whole lot of new things. But remember that it is God who's wanting to do a new thing in you. All throughout Scripture, you'll see this too. You'll see God saying, I want to do a new thing in your life. Or he'll say to people, I want you to sing a new song to me. And so I want you to reflect upon that and to think, you know, okay, God, what is it that, that's new that you're wanting to do in my life? I've been this way all my life. Is that not okay, Lord? And God say, no, I want to do something new in your life. Okay? What is it that God is wanting to do new in your life? What is it that God's wanted to do new in our local church, in our state, in our country, in the world? God is wanting to transform us so that we will shine brightly for Him. 
We want to shine brightly so that it is His glory that is being shown. But in order for this transformation to occur, we have to place ourselves in a position where we can be transformed. And again, I challenge you to plant yourself in the soil of Christ. So my question for us this morning and in the days to come is, are we willing to submit to Christ's leadership and are we willing to follow in his ways? Let's pray. Father, I know that your word is challenging. Challenging to me, it's challenging to each of us. I pray, Lord, that what we have learned and reflected upon this morning reminds us, Lord, that you're wanting to do a new thing in our lives and in our church. And so, Father, I pray that we will be obedient and that we will allow you to do the transformation that needs to be done in each of our lives and in our church, in our country, and around the world. Lord, help us to submit to your teachings and submit to allowing you to live through us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.